Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We'd like to begin by acknowledging that we are on the ancestral land of the Keech, Shumash, and Tongva people who were removed unjustly and that we are the beneficiaries of the removal. We honor them as we live, work, and study on this land. Salud or Dalby, through a great party, we all drank Bacardi, it got kind of gnarly. We're light as a feather, we're tougher than leather. Together we're weirder, we're weirder together. We're back in the stewed. We made it through the wilderness. Somehow we made it through. You know that yeah, t- yeah. Um, like a virgin. Oh, like a virgin. Yeah. This is, we are like virgin podcasters potting for the very first time. In person again. I know. Feels good, right? It's so good. I did kind of have, not dreams, but I did hold sort of fantasies of the return to this chair. Looking yeah. at you in person, having the lights on, feeling like, you know, this is back in our safe space. Why do you think Anthony Kiedis never did a power couple move? <laughs> I think you were his power couple move. I was the only one. I mean, no, I think Anthony he dated- Ke- Yeah, it's a go, go ahead. Sophia, maybe Madonna, like so many famous-ish, famous. I bumped into him once with Demi Moore yeah. somewhere, and I was like, oh, what are you up to? He's like, I'm just here with my friend Demi and I was like, right. well, that's, but yeah, he never, he wants he never to went be public the, with it. the Maha. He does like to be the man. I mean, interestingly, isn't it? Because like a power couple in show business, in this uh, entertainment landscape, is based on equal billing. Yeah. So in a way, Anthony and Flea are the power couple that they never needed a woman to step into that space. No, no. But but Mick did it. Mick Mick yeah, figured he, it out, it. even with Keith. But I think that did, in a sense, it caused ruptures with Keith. Like, I think they're, oh. don't you think, like, their deepest bond were pre-power couple days? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I never thought of that, that, that what, if you are in a, a dynamic duo in a band and you, yeah, the, I mean, I, I always felt the heartbreak when, like, my brother would get married or, like one of your best friends gets married, you do feel like, oh no, where where do I fit in? I mean, we only have room for one boundaryless, all-encompassing, enmeshed relationship in our life at a time, right? I mean, I used to be able to straddle a couple of them, and I'm looking to do that again. No, I'm looking not to be codependent, <laughs> but um, and I've really come leaps and bounds. I really am learning how to. I mean, I, my instinct is to to heavenly creatures, everything. But um, I'm trying to see what it's like not to do that. But when you're enmeshing in like a fantasy world with more than one person, you you, you must be keeping something off the table for I don't each, know. or are you totally present with each? Like I people think, that cheat, that like have a family life and a mistress or whatever. You can compartmentalize. Wow. There was an amazing French short story. I don't remember who wrote it, um, and it was. Who was it? It might have been um, who wrote uh, 
the sensual erotic stories who was with Henry Miller, Anais Nin. Yeah. Might have been one of her stories, but I don't know. It was a woman who was married to her cozy husband and then she had an affair. And every time she was with the affair, she missed the cozy husband. And well, that's was, what I mean. There's something off the table. Yeah, that's She's true. never 100% present. Yeah. The only way to truly enmesh and lose yourself is one object of desire. And I think that's why in... For instance, like in Hinduism, when they talk about like bhakti yoga, like the path of devotion, they do focus on having one deity or one guru. Oh, interesting. Because in a way, it's like you need to project all of it onto one person to have that all-encompassing mommy, I'm home experience. But some there's a deity for everything. So you do get variety. Well, that's true. But that's like people. You know, we have all yeah. kinds of people so we can choose to obsess you can, over. You can fixate on one for the fall or one for this feeling or that feeling, whatever it is in, with the deities. I know they all represent different I think things. You, I think you kind of have one homie though. You know what I mean? Like you kind of have one yeah. God that's like your main squeeze. That and resonates. You might, you might have some variation of like a spiritual ethical non-monogamy with different deities on the altar, but there is one that you are like dug into and you're like, yeah. that's that's my bro. Yeah, like when you're with Shiva, you're like, oh, I'm cheating on Ganesh. Exactly. I really, Ganesh is my one. Exactly, that's keeping that trunk which way to the left is i remember with ganesh statues so that's the hindu i know a lot of like very obtuse and specific i love it uh hindu trivia but so ganesh are the that's the elephant head on mm. the body and that's the remover of obstacles and it was said that someone told me that when the trunk is on the left hand side like it's swaying like uh hanging to the left that's on the human heart. So that's a more, in, you can give intuitive offerings. You could be like, hey, I'm going to give my Ganesh some bananas today. I'm going to give it some incense. I'm going to, you know, like these yeah. are little sacrifices. But if it's on the right, that is a more disciplined, rational Ganesh. And that needs the exact same offering, same time of the day, every day. Ah, oh, that's cool. Isn't that interesting? And which, so you're going to get to pick side, your flavor. Which side do you hang? Well, I definitely. I, <laughs> no, I had. A, I could go either way. Like I had. I'm talking a, about which side do you hang? I understood the double entendre. <laughs> I was just choosing not to like fully good. indulge in it and okay. just continue. Your with acting it. was so good. I thought you really didn't know what I meant. Yeah. So you can go either way. Some days you want to go. Well, there are sometimes in my say my devotion to my work. There are times I get in a rhythm where sitting down every day at the same time. And yeah recording it's got that ritualistic aspect to it but then there are larger patterns of spontaneity and intuition within you know like in within the macro there are little micro patterns that i go in and out of don't yeah. you hear that with writing for sure i uh yeah i i i'm for sure go both ways um Mr. Chow documentary. Yeah, what did you think about that? I loved, I loved it. it. I know. I didn't know. I used to be friendly with one of his kids, China. Yeah. And she was really great. And I would go to the Mr. Chow in LA. And then in New York in the 90s, it was happening. And I knew the, the history of Mr. Chow. But then when I saw that trailer, I was like, whoa, I didn't know all of this. It was amazing. I mean, what it's a documentary on Max, by the way, at the moment, about the restaurateur, Mr. Chow. For, it, it was a very American cultural sort of landmark, like where like celebs and artists and models and all these people would like uh, hobnob. And, yeah. yeah. And it really, I, I, when someone's the host and they create something, it really does draw in a certain clientele. And like in LA, it would be like, you know, 
Jack Nicholson and Mae West and Jane Fonda. And it was just a very specific, great kind of group of people. And New York was very kind of fashion scene. And all- like Warhol and Basquiat and yeah. all those guys. And, and in London, it was a little, it started in London. I didn't know he was married to Grace Carrington. Is that Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the Grace from Vogue with the big red hair. That, yeah, yeah. And, it, and I really... What struck me was uh, the Asian racism is so intense. Like I have a Japanese friend and we were, in, she grew up in New York and we were getting, hailing a cab and she said, it's going to be harder hailing it with me. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, cause I'm Asian. And I was like, what? And Grace Carrington said the same thing. So he- invent- and, and in that supermodels thing, they were talking about Naomi Campbell would always have trouble getting a cab yeah. and Linda Evangelista had to get it for her. Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was saying being eccentric helped. And so he was he started out as an, an artist in London and having a whole eccentric look got him kind of people were like, Oh, he's artistic and he was and is. But um and just so chic that restaurant and just the I don't know, his story was incredible. I was inspired by his attention to detail and the degree to which he saw his I guess, passion for his artwork and creating these spaces as being opportunities for transformation of like all his staff. And like he really did see it as, that was so amazing when he had some guy who was like the maitre d' or something who had been working for him for 47 years. And he just said, this is a good man. This is a, like, like it was so sweet. He was so concerned with character. Yeah. But wasn't that great? He said, the only problem with hanging out with such a good man is that you feel like an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His, he wanted everyone to feel good about themselves and make other people feel good about themselves. And um, yeah, everything, the lighting, the flowers. The, and he was very, very chic. Yeah. Highly, highly recommended. It's called Mr. Chow, right? I think so. And it's on yeah. And it's just fun, but also good. So good. So Fun good. and good. So good. I got like I got a DM that kind of shooketh me. Uh-huh. Um, can I read it to you? Yeah. You were a dick at the bar in <laughs> Brisbane, and you're a dick now, Ben. Someone buys your whole discography, gets a bunch of people interested in your music, and spends money seeing you live every chance they get, and you can't even give me a reply of any kind. Can't even really enjoy your music anymore, knowing what a wanker you are. Wait, when was this? I don't know. This is well, this came in yesterday. I I love I like that that it's <laughs> I can't even enjoy your music anymore, which was probably like this happened a week ago. Yeah, but maybe it did. Maybe it did happen. Did you in reply? Reply. I don't know what he's talking about. Reply. No. Did you re- do? We did you reply to this? No, I just got this a minute ago. I'm sharing it with you now. This is happening in real time. We're processing fan criticism in real time. I'm always so worried about people, but also I don't want like encouraging like a weirdo but just say i'm so sorry i was rude no but i don't know if i was rude. i also feel i think i feel um the pressure on musicians to do this kind of after show meet and greet and to like continue the performance i see that as like if someone comes out and signs some merch and sells some stuff it's like a bonus. It's gravy. Yeah. I don't see it as any, like, I, I sometimes find, like, fans have this expectation that you're meant to be um, signing all their vinyl and doing this whole thing after the gigs. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah. I try not to be rude. <laughs> I try not to be rude, but I do find, like, I was when I was going to the Blue Mountains gig, the Katoomba gig recently, 
I hadn't slept the night before because there'd been like a stressful night or something. I hadn't been able to sleep. And I showed up at reception and it was a really nice hotel. But the guy wanted to have this lengthy chat. About, mm. And I was like, I'm so tired. Please check me in and I'll chat to you later. You about, said that. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I did. I did. But yeah, I, I, I think mean, it might have come across as a little more rude than that. I don't know. Yeah, you don't owe this person anything, but like, I don't know. I, I would probably just say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I was rude. Don't take it personally. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But also- I just, I just find the weight of expectation like too much on performers, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I get it because it's someone's- Poor us. <laughs> no, it's someone's moment, I guess. And there's a lot invested in that exchange. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, maybe I'll shoot him in DM. I will. Yeah, I'll just do say, it. Real but I'm not, I'm not going to say- I'm not going to just say sorry. I'm going to say, wait, what's the problem? <laughs> What's the problem? I didn't sign your vinyl. That's a bit cheeky. Well, he's being a bit aggressive. Yeah, but that's like egging him on to be. More, I like, am egging him on. I'm okay, just but just say, I sent it already. I sent it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to pander to people writing okay. hostile DMs to me. That's probably good. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm excited because we have our friends Deep Faith which is Byron Spencer, who has recently done, I mean, he did all my visuals for my last record and he's recently done some amazing creative direction for Julia Fox and Lady Gaga and his musical partner, Daniel Stricker, who is in Midnight Juggernauts, are going to do a little house concert here in a few weeks. I know, we're back into having Back in business, parties. baby. I know, we really went crazy with the parties. The for- fall season. Yeah. I know. I really, um, I missed a house so much when I was away. It's like, I don't want to be, I mean, LA does have a certain notoriety of people becoming real homebodies. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I you can create these sort of private fantasy worlds. Yeah. And, I mean, that's like the image of like Hugh Hefner or whatever. But I do feel in my own little sense, like this is, it's like a creative castle. And I do, I like being here. I know. I was at a dinner at the Chateau for a friend's birthday and my other friend Francesca was saying how important it is to like get out of LA yeah, and maybe just America, you know, or just, yeah, it's always, it's nice if you have the ability to travel and it snaps you out of your shell and your bubble. But at this point in my life, I've traveled so much and I'm going to travel more and I love it, but I don't forget. It's not like I forget that there is a different, um, kind of way to live. I mean, when yes, when you do go out of town, it does change the atmosphere of your brain even. For you, sure, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. so that's a thing that you can't just like sit there, you know, like if you're not stoned, you it would take a minute to sort of like try to remember what that feels like. And the same with travel, you do have to kind of do it to experience that. But now I know, you know, I do remember, I have the memory, sense memory of like, yes, when you travel, there's other people and other ways of being. Ah, so you're saying you've reached the end of travel. I'm saying I'm sort of like when when Charles Manson could tell you what it was, <laughs> I was like. I was not expecting that. To, oh, that story. Yeah, yeah, tell that story. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, it's funny, like uh, there was this story, someone uh, was in- It was, um, it was Tre- Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo yeah. was in prison, jail. Um, sometimes I forget the difference. How privileged am I that I forget the difference? Jail's like a temporary holding. Right, right. Yeah. It's a prison. Um, jail, prison, for MC assault. That's a good lyric. What does that I, mean? I stole your girl while you was in prison. Jail, for MC assault. Well, MC assault. Oh, like, like, like being badly. an MC. No, he was in jail for doing bad 
lyrics. Bad You know, MC. those are the rap songs that are like dissing. A rap battle. Yeah. Rap battles. Anyway. Together we're weirder, we're weirder together. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, beautiful babies. I'm Ben Lee. And I'm Ioni Skye. And we are the hosts of Weirder Together podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, you might like some of the podcasts that our friends make and release on the Weirder Together podcast network. Like punk legend Jello Biafra's Renegade Roundtable. Multidisciplinary artist Brock Enright's trippy sonic journey, Vague Data. Making Ways, the art of music, an exploration of the ways that musicians and visual artists communicate and collaborate. Raw Impressions with Lou Barlow and Adele Barlow. I love that, one of my favorite married couples. And The Blag Show with Sarah and Sally, a collection of never-before-heard vintage interviews with legendary artists. And The Future of Being a Musician with Ben Lee. Find these pods on your favorite podcast platform now. Love ya. Androgynous. Trejo yeah, was Danny not Trejo. was not in prison for bad rapping. I don't know what it was for. And he had someone told him, I can get you higher than you've ever been. And he talked him through this whole sort of meditation hypnosis of getting high on heroin. And Danny Trejo said it was the highest he'd ever been, having this person talk him through this high like shooting up yeah he did like a hypnotism kind of thing on him right yeah that's what i said and um (laughs) (laughs) no i was just remembering yeah Yeah. and then um and the story was the person was manson who did it yeah exactly so So a very manipulative guru the the interesting thing about the story is it gives you insight into how he accrued the followers he accrued when he got out of exactly and what i'm saying back to this breaking out of your bubble of being in la and in your nice cozy house yeah if that's where you are, it's sort of not like I can like imagine what it's like, but I know that that's a truth and it is still important. Maybe I felt defensive because I was like, I don't really travel that much. I mean, I because I travel for work, I don't see that as, and you do too. I don't think there ever is going to be a danger where we're not shaking ourselves out of that bubble. And I know for sure, like with Weirder Together, with this whole thing that we've built, that really was inspired by taking a step out of LA. Like yeah. I think it was really not until we were in Sydney and had a, like a different lens on what we were doing with our creativity and our careers that we were able to sort of almost like, it's almost like with Weirder Together, we're sort of telling a story about our value system and our lifestyle. And we had to step out of it to sort of see the narrative and see yeah. the complete picture. Yeah, even just yesterday, I was doing a booth for three hours at a, at our kids' yeah. school festival. Which booth were you doing? Fruit. You were, So you were <clears throat> cutting up fruit. No, but it's funny. When I first arrived, it was a fruit cart, as you see, like, you know, a Latina, Hispanic fruit cart in LA. I love Delicious. those with the jicama and the tahine. Lime, jicama, yeah. tahine. And there was a fruit cart and there was a woman standing there, but I was like, 
okay, it was the first time I was doing a sign up for this festival for the school. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be cutting this fruit, putting it in the cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I've never done this before. So I was just standing there like, I better start learning how no, to do this. No, you have cut fruit before. Yeah, but like This is not like fast. a Kylie Jenner type situation. No, oh my God. Piece of if you don't know, yeah. there is a moment when Scott Disick goes over to Ky- to Chris Jenner's house and he, she says, can I offer you something? And he says, maybe a cup of tea. And then she asks the like, chef. the chef to pour him a cup of tea. And everyone was fascinated that, you know, even anyone could put hot water with a tea bag. That's true. That's true. So you're cutting, you're not so cutting I'm up So I'm not, fruits. no, but yeah. I was like, I don't think I can, I know I can, but like, what if there's a line? Like, I can't, I, I was just like baffled. And then this woman was like, hi, I'm, I forgot her name. She had a really cool name with a B. Ben? She spoke <laughs> um, no English, and I, I'm embarrassed. I don't speak Spanish. It's right. so embarrassing. Anyway. Did you ever learn some? I took, did I ever take, I took one year of Spanish, yeah. and I should speak Spanish. My yeah. aunt lived in Spain for 30 years, and I live in LA, and I've lived here my whole yeah. life. It's embarrassing. Anyway, she was so nice. She I gave me half of her, uh, it was like from a fast food it was delicious. I don't eat like that much fast food, but it was like um, like a quesadilla or a taco from like some fast food place. And it was unbelievably good. And she literally like ripped it with her hand and gave it to me and it was so sweet. And then poured me half a cup of her Coca-Cola. I mean, this is the deep bonding that happens in profound volunteer work. And then I felt so guilty because yes. then when you arrived, I ran off and got some fair food and I literally ate it like, hiding from her because uh, I was yeah. like do you I want to share back well I just felt like weird am I gonna and then but then after my shift I said what do you want and she said some she wanted one thing so I went and got her some stuff you really it, redeemed yourself there yeah I mean the guilt was too can much you imagine to though yeah. like she fe- gave me half her food and then she's standing there and no one's like you know, and like I'm, I ate some food, like sort of sneaking to the side. My job was just taking tickets, yeah. and the kids studying all these kids. My job was I was running the wheel of fortune. It was a giant spinning thing with different colors, and the kids would give tickets, and everyone was a winner. Yeah, and I got really into it because I felt like P.T. Barnum, which is part of my personality. Yes, like pure sales entertainment. I was being like a carnival barker. I mean, it couldn't have been a better job for you. And you're kind of strict when I was standing with you. I always want to be like, it's okay. Take that toy. And you're like, no, they got this one. And you're right. Like they shouldn't, that's part of the fun. It's like you get the red and you only get these ones. You get the black, you can choose anything. Like, Oh, the, yeah, exactly. The whole fun of a game is, and of gambling is defined by the odds that are stacked rules. against you. Yeah, yeah exactly. and I'm always the one who's like, you know, let them let them get what they want but i always i often say this to you keep your day job because you're amazing at it but there are so many jobs you could do it's unreal so carnival barker carnival barker or, or it could be like a drew carey you know on a wheel of fortune like a game show host. you can do that you can that, um, that that you never know that could be in my future i could see in australia getting an offer for oh, something for like sure. that one day and you can um, help people set up their social life on, oh, yeah. on oh, social media. Social media. Oh, can I t- tell there are you many jobs? Can I tell you, you on that note some a sort of thought I've been having? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been thinking about you know as we're building this company, we're together and putting out music and putting out pods and doing events. 
I've been trying to define in my mind what it what it is, you know. And I was really because only because uh, until you can explain things, it's very hard to sort of sometimes Brand. get people on board as with the service that you're offering, you know. Mm. But I've really been like dropping into this term, which is not a term that I love, but the concept of micro influencers, which yeah. has come, you know, pretty much from Instagram. And I think I think it kind of came from the idea that like you couldn't afford necessarily to get a Kim Kardashian or uh, Charlie D'Amelio with, you know, 20 million followers to do a paid promotional post. So you could do several smaller, get several smaller um, influencers that, that sort of work their influence on a smaller community, but it's still... But I, I was thinking about how, in a sense, if you've been involved in alternative culture or indie rock or indie film, like we were always micro-influencers. That was micro-influence. Micro-influence was really, I think, where culture was built. Like I wasn't that heavily influenced by things being pummeled at me through mainstream culture. Yeah, I was more... I would be influenced culturally by several less influential but cooler you know just in terms of demographic like how how big the numbers were like anyway i guess what i'm trying to say is that the the way that the term micro influencer has been crystallized in social media has actually helped me understand alternative culture in retrospect yeah does that make sense and i think in a sense what weirder together is is kind of like defined through the lens of micro-influencing. The idea that like, I've always wanted, I've always cared more about the quality of my fans than the quantity of yeah. them. Like I've always wanted like smart, cool fans. Yeah. Nice, yeah. smart, cool and yeah. nice fans. And having them be millions of them was never as important as having them like really get it. Well, yeah, you know? it's sort of like, would you rather have a million, you know, douchey college, <laughs> yeah. college dudes like you or well let's say would you rather like 10 million douchey college dudes or a million cool people you admire yeah and most people like in bands don't start out thinking of playing arenas and stadiums like i remember talking to joel and benji madden once when they started good charlotte and they were like we just wanted to get big enough to play like irving plaza yeah, 930 nice, club nice like a nice size yeah, club yeah, that yeah. was full of so anyway, it's just sort of, um, I've just been, I think because I also, I did this TikTok event and there was like, I don't know, it's funny sort of, we we sort of think a lot about social media and interact a lot with it, but I haven't been to an event that was sort of organized around exploring that. And I sat on this panel with interesting, you know, Gen Z influencers, like one of them has, you know, one and a half million followers on TikTok. And, but I'm just sort of like thinking about what it is to live in this world of like a content economy and like who the audience is and what we're trying to do with it. So a lot yeah. of thoughts. Just, yeah. I mean, know. I've always been influenced. It's funny because I'm writing this memoir and I was going through sort of thinking about music and in, people who influenced me and the music I found on my own. And, and I wrote this list of what I was listening to, for example, at 16. And it's all like big people. I wasn't, I mean, yeah, there was always the odd you know, I got into sort of smaller things too, smaller bands and singers and stuff. But 
<laughs> I always thought I was so eccentric and like out no, there. But, but that's a really good example where the route you probably came to those things was essentially through micro influences rather than it wasn't because you saw them on MTV. It was because your brother liked them. Right. But I something. also, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and that and makes I you guess, feel like it's yours. It's something you've discovered that hasn't been like pushed on you. Yeah. And the um, some of the bands like Devo or B-52s, I mean, they all started as small bands and Warhol started small and there's certain things that start small and they seem edgy and then some things just break through and get massive. For sure. And I think there's, but there's different routes. I think something that is super mainstream can be pushed at a corporate level and that is kind of how it becomes adopted as part of culture. Yeah. Like for instance, a, uh, you know, a Marvel, or even a Marvel movie, you could say, the audience is essentially like they're pretty careful with marketing those to make sure they get the hardcore comic book nerds on board first. Yeah. Because they know that if they turn against them, the thing on a oh, yeah. mass level doesn't have as much of a chance. But it is super fun when someone like Thurston Moore puts out these weird, you know, like, I don't know if he put it out the in, the in between. Uh, What's that band from Newcastle? Oh, Venom. No, no, he didn't put it out. They were just tape trading that everyone was yeah, doing. Yeah, the tape yeah. trading days were fun because it was it was obviously that's not mainstream. Yeah, totally. And that was a person-to-person -person connection and a community of a way of sharing music. And loving like local bands that are small. Like when my brother had his band in New York, Nancy Boy, there's like that's so fun when you have local bands and you're like uber fans and there's just like the core group for this band, the fans. And, and I feel like even the Strokes like kind of grew out of that. Like I think there was genuine excitement downtown in New York about having a New York band. Yeah. Again, so even though it obviously crossed over, it was built up on like blogs, fanzines, music fans communicating with each other. Yeah, little scenes are, are so inspiring. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think as fans – when you get that perfect storm of something that totally organically springs up out of an organic community or culture and then rises to the mainstream, like the way Nirvana did or, you know, I just think it is so, it's like the best of both worlds. Like everything just, not many things can check all those boxes. Yeah. On um, Nomi Fry's podcast, they someone asked- the Writers question, at large? Writers at oh, large. Critics at large. Critics at large. Great pod. Um, he asked if you could do one chore the rest of your life and give up one chore. Hell yeah. What would you do? Uh, if I could do, I would unstack dishwashers for the rest of my life. That's I'm happy good. to do that. It's handling clean dishware and cutlery. I'm fine with that. Something I could not do for the rest of my life, essentially like clean the house. <laughs> I'd be happy not to clean the house. Uh, yeah. You know? Well, I think that's the, it's the category is in within. Yeah. Yeah. I know. House, I know. I know. A, bit, a bit all encompassing. There. Listen, I know I would love one day. I, yeah, it's so, I'm such an artist, but I'm also like a clean freak. And the two, the two really fight each other. What are yours? What are your two? What would you do for the rest of your life? Mopping never because I don't know how. You're I, already not doing that. For I, the rest what of your I life, do I yeah. is <laughs> when I have to clean the floor, I literally go hands and knees, rags because I don't. Wow, I love calling it go hands and knees. Yeah, 
because it's like they used to do that because it just feels like you're, it's getting cleaner. Yeah, that's called the doggy style method. Mm-hmm. Of and it's hot. Yeah, yeah, it's super hot. But no, but it's like, I just feel like I can't see if I'm cleaning with the mop and it doesn't feel like it's, it's like how many times, then you have to keep cleaning the mop so much. I just feel like it's not clean. And how often do you go hands and knees and clean the floors of our house? Like after a party and stuff when it's You've like just it, yeah. sticky, sticky. What would you do for the rest of your life? In my dream, if it was easier to do, I would like make a beautiful bed. If You'd I, make a beautiful bed every day. But for the rest someone of your life, would yeah. iron, it would be ironed pillowcases, all ironed and gorgeous. And like the way that I laid out beautiful ingredients for you last night and you made a meal yeah, and it was like was all good. there for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that all like. It would be, you know, all there for me. You would like a sous chef for making the bed, and yes. then you would happily make the bed. Yeah, yeah. lay and out your pajamas on the pillow. All yeah, of it. tuck them under the pillow. But yeah, just a beautiful bed. It's like I'm, I'm like saving it for my sixties. Save a few sixties. I like. Let's call this episode "Saving It for My Sixties. Yeah, and also I'm going to get my hair done once a week in a quaff. Probably at 70, because 70 is the new 50. You know, it's like I always thought once I turned 50, I would like get my hair done. But I'm like, it's a bit young. My chick has plans. I've got plans. Beautiful babies. Beautiful babies. We love you. I've got plans for you. Let's let's head out of this episode with a bit of deep faith, steamy rad. Yeah. All right. Love you guys.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.